welcome to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness. Reflections and conversations exploring recovery work in spiritual disciplines and where they come together. The Outer Circle comes from a recovery exercise called the Three Circles. The Middle Circle contains the bottom line behaviors, those destructive patterns you are working to avoid. The Second Circle contains those behaviors, patterns, places, and relationships that, while not inherently bad, for you are an integral part of the spiral towards the Middle Circle. The outer circle contains the vision of your best and fullest self that you are seeking to live. Turning towards this full self is turning away from your middle circle. The outer circle explores daily practices that promote sobriety, presence, balance, connection, thriving, purpose, healing, and resilience. Inner stillness is a concept from Orthodox Christian spiritual thought that refers to the deepest part of a person's soul, the place where God lives and speaks. In pursuing the outer circle and the inner stillness, I believe we can find all that we need. Welcome here to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness podcast, conversations and reflections on the spiritual life and the recovery life and where they come together, where we explore what is the sober way of life. What do sober people do? Uh, I'm Reese Pasimio. Delighted to be here with you on the day we're recording this. It's a lovely summer day in June. And I have a special guest, Jim Pender. James Pender? Jim Pender. Jim Pender. And we're going to get the wonderful opportunity to hear some of his stories. Jim, hello. How are you today? Hello, Reese. I'm very well, thank you. Up here in cloudy and wet Calgary, Alberta. But it's uh, everything is certainly lush and green looking up my window right now. That does sound really beautiful. Yeah. Could you say a little bit about who you are in relation to the addiction and recovery counseling world? Sure. So, so my background, professionally, I'm a registered clinical social worker. I have four degrees, including a master's in clinical social work. I'm a member of our provincial clinical specialty registry and private practice rosters. Um, I have a PhD in educational research. I did my PhD dissertation. The topic was Restless Hearts, the Search for an experience of authentic spirituality in the lives of seekers. And so um, the whole connection between recovery and spirituality has been a keen interest of mine for a very long time. I did my first degree in English language and literature and a minor in religious studies. And so this PhD took me back to my original roots in, in lots of ways. And, and then beyond that, I also have two different certifications in the area of substance use and I'm a certified sex addiction therapist. That sounds like a lot of reading. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't realize that you were the one who had written Restless Hearts. I have heard of that book and now I'm mentally bumping it closer to the top of my, my list, I think. Oh. Well, and, and it was never published, so maybe there's another book called Restless Hearts. Hmm. Interesting. I'll have to okay, now I'm now I'm checking my memory a little bit. But yeah. But that whole exploration of like the recovery spirituality, uh, I mean, feels really vital. I know a lot of folks talk about the need to have a, a spiritual program 
as well as those folks who say, hey, spirituality has nothing to do with it. So I, I know it's a, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into that conversation. Yeah, no, there is. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing. So in this conversation, we're getting to ask around your recovery story. And again, not quite the emphasis on your road to addiction and all of that happened in there, but a little bit more of an emphasis on since getting into recovery, what has life been like and and how's that gone? So as much as you're okay. open to saying, uh, what are you in recovery from? I'm in recovery from alcohol addiction. And I've been clean and sober, Reese, now for uh, 38 years. And so I found my recovery when I started when I was 29. And I think I finally nailed it when I was about 31. So a good couple years of active active recovery work, actively figuring it out. I wonder, how did you know when you had nailed it? Tell me about that moment. I I think it was um, the... I, I had this unusual spiritual experience back when I was drinking, and I would I was out late one night. It was early in the morning. I was feeling very despairing and very um, very drunk, <laughs> very unhappy with uh, how I was living my life, and I ended up going to the chapel at a local Catholic hospital that was near where I found myself. And I went into that, that chapel, and I just sat there, and I started to sob and pray, and and um, and I just felt such a comfort come over me. It wasn't the end of my drinking, uh, but it was certainly uh, the beginning of the end of my drinking. And I realized that if I was going to be able to do this successfully, some kind of a spiritual connection was going to be essential. And I tried all the other things that so many of us have tried. I tried to change from beer to scotch because I didn't like scotch. And then I loved scotch. (laughs) And then I changed from scotch to wine because I didn't much like wine. And I really loved wine. And then I went from that to vodka and gin and on and on. And and so nothing really worked. And, And I was stalling out in every area of my life. My wife was getting very tired of hearing me say I was sorry, and I was getting tired of saying I was sorry. But it just just didn't occur to me. Um, I I used to volunteer (laughs) on the crisis lines, and there it did occur to, to me that a lot of the people I was speaking to, their lives were falling apart much in the same way that my life was falling apart. <laughs> and I thought, huh, you know, like, here I am on the crisis lines as a volunteer and speaking with people who had all manner of issues going on, lots of them related to substance use disorders, and and I did too. And so I realized I really had to do something about it. And so I started going to an AA meeting in my local community. And when I first walked in, I was pretty arrogant. I was pretty scared. And I, I just remember looking at these people. I was so judgmental. <laughs> and when the part in the preamble says, if you want what we have, and I thought, what the hell? I already have far more than what you have. you know. And I was just thinking of such a superficial and, as I said, very arrogant way. 
And, and when they started to speak, I thought they were the smartest people I'd ever heard. I was hooked from that first meeting. I just couldn't get over the candor, the honesty. And that was the thing. I, I just didn't know how to be honest with myself or with others or with the God of my understanding. It's, um, and to sit in that room that first night and hear people talk from their hearts, just laying it out very clearly how it was, like I was just thrown right back on my heels. And so from that moment on, I knew that AA was going to be part of my recovery. That feels like a really powerful sort of moment to consider of uh, walking into this group. And uh, and I appreciate you talking about your own mindset of there. there's some arrogance, there's some, I've got stuff, I'm you know, successful, I'm active. But it sounds like missing the, the honesty and the candor. And mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I'm inferring that there was something about the relationship experience that was really compelling for you. It was uh, like, like I just wasn't accustomed to being around a group of people, strangers, who, first of all, were so welcoming of me. And I got so much positive attention. As we know, the newcomer is the most important person in the room. I did not know that in my first reading. <laughs> and so I was not really prepared for so much positive attention. And, uh, and that was just very humbling that so many people that I never knew before and never met you know, would be so charitable, so kind, and just reaching out. There's a moment that, that I'll, I'll just never for, forget or take for, for granted, and just how important it is to welcome that new person into to the circle. And so following that, I, I started going to other meetings and met other people in recovery and and selected a sponsor and started to actually work the steps. And working the steps was a, like, I, I just really needed the, the structure of the steps to, to sort of keep me in my own lane and to give me that sense of direction. And, and, it's, um, and that was life-changing for me. I joined a big book study group with a few other men, and, and that was that really... When I said that my um, recovery was kind of cemented about 31, that that was because of that that big book study group. And would you say that the study group was the the core element of that, specifically the content of the big book, or more the experience of I'm, I'm with other men, we're studying together, we're sharing life together, or some mix of both? Yeah, I think I, I think that, that that's exactly right. Reese, it was really. The, 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 the connection and just how tight you get with these other guys as you work through the steps as, as a group. And, um, and and that support and the insight that, that hopefully we all got, but I, but I certainly got as a consequence of that. Um, it was, um, it just shows the, to, to me, time and again, just how isolation works against us and how being part of and that connectivity is is really the answer. I hear that. I love the story of the the study group. It's reminding me a little bit of how, like in other traditions, one might go to a Bible study. I mean, and that's more specific to my tradition. But, but like at some point, you're not learning the Bible stories anymore, or at some point, you're not really mm-hmm. learning like new theology bits anymore. It's because because there's enough. There's only so much data that's there. 
hey, there's the, I mean, there's the deepening nuances of it, but there's the, the practice of I, I get up, I get out and I get with other people and spend time yes. sharing ideas back and forth. And that, that seems really valuable. Yeah, totally. It's, um, it's, it's just a, such a strong reminder for, for me that really none of us do very much on our own. And we certainly don't do a very good recovery on our own. And so to have other people who love us and support us and just have that, that experience of getting in touch with with God again and to to really avail myself to to that power was uh, was one of the greatest gifts of recovery. None of us do very much on our own, or certainly not very well. I definitely no. observe that. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so then the last 30 plus years, how, how do you define sobriety for yourself? Very strict abstinence, moderation, intermittent, or how does that work for you? Oh, okay. For, for me, it is absence. Like, it's, like I adhere to a total abstinence model. And um, like I... I see too many people, both professionally as well as in my friendship circle or in meetings that I still attend to this day, people that, that go out and think they got it, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm on this side of the pickle line again. I'm a cucumber. I can have a drink. And, and then oh, just to find out, you know, I'm really am a pickle. <laughs> so it's, um, so it's, um, for, for for me, I I don't like I, I'm very happy identifying myself as a non-drinker. I'm very happy to be totally abstinent. That's uh, I don't feel like I'm missing out at all. Um, and even if I could drink, but it's really a hundred percent certain. You know, like Jim, you've got it now. You can. You don't have to drink the whole bottle. You could just have, you know, a glass. I would not be interested. I just wouldn't be. Yeah, because it sounds like it's about a lot more than just not uh, about more than just avoiding alcohol at this point. As much as you have a whole life that is mm-hmm. it has maybe has nothing to do with alcohol uh, or even yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, the, like the funny thing today is that many people that I've known for. 30 plus years do not know that I don't drink. You know, uh, I'll go to friends' homes, you know, for for dinner party. And, and a couple of years ago, the hostess says, oh, Jim, you're not drinking tonight? And I said, Penny, you know, you've never known me to drink. She goes, why? <laughs> and I said, well, because it doesn't agree with me. I don't like what, what happens to me when I drink. And she goes, oh, well, how about that? And then the person next to me says, are you in recovery? And I said, in fact, I am. She goes, I want to talk to you about that. You know, and it's like, it's just interesting what happens when in those moments where you're just not expecting it. And and then someone next to you says, you know, I want to talk about what recovery could look like. It was just a nice moment. Right. That does sound really sweet. And it feels like the very best sort of marketing or evangelism where it's just like, hey, I'm a reasonably put together, intelligent, very kind person. And hey, there's something about my life that you are interested in. Sure, I'll talk to you about that. Perfect, right? And it's, it's like um, it's like the program says, it's about attraction rather than promotion. Mm. And so it's, 
know, it's just a a nice, um, just a nice outcome of recovery. This does raise a question, though, because so this feels like one of the questions that comes up in some form uh, extremely often is people wondering, well, is recovery ever done? Or am I an addict for life? Or could I ever do moderation again? And definitely know a lot of people yeah. flirt with that, try that. And uh, what everyone believes about like moderation or not, I guess I would wonder, do you see your sobriety recovery as something that has a completion point? Or like, what, do, you, do you get to a point where you're like no longer addicted? Or in just in remission, or yeah. is it like kind of a I am always like kind of vulnerable to this, or how do you experience that? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very thought provoking question. You know, like, what are we ever done? And when I was doing my research on people that had a seeking orientation to the faith journey, and by, by definition, a seeker is never finish seeking, <laughs> you know, and so how do they know this is really it? How do they know that this is the truth? This is the thing they can really hold on to. And I think recovery is, is like that. I think it is like that proverbial peeling back of the layers of an onion. It's, um, there's just always more to find. There's always a richness there that I never retire of. That's, um, and so, so I, I don't think I, I think think of recovery like I, like I like I do identify as an alcoholic in recovery, but I don't I don't feel I don't feel to today really controlled by obsession of, of mind around drinking or wanting to drink or needing to drink or feeling in any way I'm missing out on on anything. Like, I really like the man that I am now, and I didn't like the man I was before. And so, for, for me, abstinence is it, it's not a hardship. It's, uh, it's just a natural part of, of who I am today, and, and I like that. Yeah. So, for, for me, will I, would I ever stop going to meetings? Pro- probably not. You know, like, I, I'm part of a group of guys we have an off the grid meeting where we get together every wednesday morning at seven o'clock and great bunch of men you know the guys who will take that emotional risk and make allow themselves to be vulnerable and and where on earth else apart from maybe a, a small men's group at, at a church you get that kind of intimacy you know like it's it's um like that in itself is such a wonderful outcome. Yeah. yeah I'm just imagining those relationships. Uh, you know, when, when in my life I've been able to be part of a, an ongoing group of guys who, that's what we do. We, we open ourselves up. We talk mm-hmm. about our, our deeper inner lives and our struggles. There's a, a really profound kinship there that I would agree. Like I've only ever experienced that. The only other place I've experienced that is in my faith tradition and my spiritual practice. And I'm just amusing over the parallels of we would say, uh, you know, I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian, and what you know, am I ever going to be done going to church? No, you know, at some point again, do I know all of the, the do I know all of the Bible stories? Yes, and so I'm not going to learn to participate in the life of the church and to participate in my own spiritual growth feeling. And and it sounds like the way you talk about the meetings, it's very much that like you go to participate in the life of the sober over time. Totally. 
you know, and, and I found my way back into to my, I'm Roman Catholic and found my, myself back very comfortably in, in the Roman tradition. And it's, um, you know, whereas before I only saw the, the, the rules and the surface of, of, uh, of uh, my faith tra- tradition, and now I see the depth of it and the beauty of it. That's super beautiful. Yeah. Speaking of the, the participating in the life of the church, the life of the sober, um, mm-hmm. what, are some, what are some things about how you live that sets you apart both from uh, non-addicted people in general or people who are still active and they're acting out and are not yet in active recovery? Well, you know, like I like I, I see people all the time who are not alcoholics or not addicts and but not happy and um, and not and something's missing in their in their their lives and and it's a little bit like um, I think what Blaise Pascal said: you know, we're all born with this God-sized hole in our heart. And the only thing that fills it, like we try to fill it with booze, or I did, or with work, or I did, or school, which I did, and, you know, nothing really does it like a relationship with with God, and so that's the, for for me, that's just the, the, uh, the obvious thing, and, and it is like St. Augustine said, you know, like, our hearts are restless until they find the way to rest in God, you know, it's, um, it's just, uh, to, 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 to me, that is just a very sensible um, statement, and so so I think the I think the, the the difference between people who have a recovery and the spiritual practice and those who don't, um, I I just think it brings joy. I, it's just you know the sense of happiness and fulfillment and, and connectivity that that I think evades so so many people. I think so. And I, I appreciate the way that you answer that. I, I can hear myself as I'm formulating the question. Part of me is hoping for, ooh, like what's a specific habit or a quick tips and tricks to, to being sober? But that, I love how what, you are, what you're highlighting is very much this experience, this ongoing experience mm-hmm. or this mentality. Yeah. You, have a, you have an awareness of the God-shaped hole and, and just kind of this general, like my life gets organized around that whatever that looks like, but there, but there, yeah. there's like a, there's a different default setting for you. And the cumulative result of that is this joy, this peace that comes from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it is like what happens in, you know, stated in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, when you talk about the promises, you know, before you're halfway through, you'll notice, you'll feel a new joy, a new freedom. And I don't think that ever goes away. To kind of camp on like the the more tangible though, because I mean my, my head's still there a little bit. What are some what are some practices? What are what are the essential practices, habits, routines, elements for you to have in your life to be well? Surrounding myself with uh, people who know me, who love me, who support me, and that's primarily you know my wife. Uh, my son, uh, the men in my Wednesday morning group, like these are guys, I can pick up the phone anytime and they would be there. Um, there's just um, just no, no doubt. 
And but, but but it takes work to build that sense of community. It takes um, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes energy. It takes focus. And so to to dig in deep with a group of people and and to to really be very intentional about creating that that community. It's uh, so so that's one practice. Um, another practice is um, is reading. So reading something every morning that's related to, to to recovery. So there's a number of different books I've used over the years, from the 24-hour day book to daily reflections to to readings for for, for men in recovery. It's uh, I don't think that's quite the right name of it, but but just, just something that focuses me for for, for my day. I find it's very helpful to set an intention for, for that day. And that's going to allow me to, to focus on, on that, that intention as I go through, through my day. And then at the end of the day, to do a little bit of an examination of conscience. You know, like, what went well? What did it, what could have done better? And, and so, it's, um, so it keeps me very close to... To, to my, my recovery, to, to my spiritual roots, to to always thinking about, you know, what just be more mindful and conscious. It's, um, uh, when I think back when I was younger in, in particular, it's hard to know if that's a young man's gig or if it's just a young drunken man's gig, but, but it was not very intentional. Everything just seemed to happen. I was like, I was person who was just kind of swept out the sea all the time, and but it was not intentional, and I was not really self-aware. I was not very spiritually aware, and so it's, um, so all these practices just help me stay centered. And, and the prayer rosary once in a while is uh, it's a lovely centering thing to do. Some here in community is really important. The mindfulness, the awareness is really important. Some manner of self-examination, daily inventory is really important. Like a spiritual yeah. practice specifically, you know, praying the rosary, using the prayer rope, setting an intention. I, I think I know what that means, but I wonder, could you share a, maybe a specific example of what that looks like for you to set an intention? Sure. So, so very simple intention for, for today was to just be mindful of God being present and just being conscious of that. And as I go through through my day, I look at the beauty of of the trees blowing in the wind, and just be reminded, you know, that that God is God is alive, and God is here, and God is present, and like it doesn't have to be anything bigger than than that. Sometimes my intention might be, I just want to be more present to my clients t- today, be very focused, and to be. Just praying for for their well being and and not get caught up with distractions and it's um, so so the intention is they're as numerous and they're as simple as we want to make them. Mm-hmm. That's helpful to think about as maybe something a little bit different than than, than a goal. I think my again my my mind will gravitate toward. Uh, okay, uh, intentions. What do I need to get done today? And there's this whole long list that can be really overwhelming. <laughs> but something like 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 setting an intention to be uh, aware of the beauty of God or 
or for me, I might say, I, I, I want to be uh, present and lighthearted with my kids and not yell at them. Or, or yeah. that's a little bit more internal state of being. Um, and, and nothing wrong with those either, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I love thinking about that. What would you say? So that's, those are some things that are important for you to have. And it sounds like very much on a daily basis. What are some things that are important for you to avoid? Or what do you find yourself still being very cautious around? Oh, well, well you know, that's, I have to really think about that. Early on, because I come from a very large family, um, and a lot of people in my family don't, um, don't have a deep appreciation of, of recovery. Um, there, there were certain family members I needed to avoid. There are certain places I needed to, to avoid, like, um, like a um, cottage up in north of, of Toronto where I would just feel trapped. <laughs> and, um, and so, like, I love my, my family, I love my siblings, um, you know, deeply, but, um, I need to, to, to manage my, my own energy. I'm around them. And so I haven't thought of that that in years. Like early on in my sobriety, I thought of that a lot. And I had to be very conscious about, you know, people, places, things that I needed to, to avoid. And, and I would say that, that, you know, my, my structure is now that, that, that such that I don't think about it very much. Um, if I'm going to, like in Calgary, we have this thing called the stampede. <laughs> Every year, it is like 10 days of bad behavior that is socially sanctioned or acceptable. And and so there, so I'm invited to a stampede party. So I have to think about, you know, do I have a reason to be there? It's like any party, like a Christmas party or something. Like I have to pause and say, is there a purpose? Is there a reason for, for me to, to be at this event? And and again, it's all about mindfulness. And if there is, then, then fine, go. And when that purpose is met or fulfilled, you don't have to stay. And so so I think that's a, that's a way that I just look after my, myself and I don't... Um, and I don't um, just become unconscious and find myself in a situation where it might be vulnerable. That would be a foolish thing for me. I hear that. So again, coming back to that, the mindfulness, self-awareness, just you know, kind of planning ahead, mm-hmm. exercising some wisdom, some caution. But I hear that as kind of nestled amidst, like, like you've talked about, you you have a life. You like who you are. You you have purpose. You have connection. Yeah. You have enough to already be thinking about to where some flyball comes up or some random person, you know, has shoves a drink in your face or something. Like like there's there there's a momentum and there's an internal buffer uh, already for you. <laughs> well, I was at a, at a Robert, Robert Burns uh, dinner here in Calgary. It was a big men's dinner. <laughs> and I was at the, this table and, and one of the guests, uh, one of my friends, you know, was just absolutely blown away. I'd be at an event like that and not drinking heavily, much less not drinking at all. And he, uh, um, 
And at that one point when I turned away, you know, he had poured some scotch into to, to, to my coffee and I, I went to drink it. I could smell it. And I turned and said, you know, like, just pour liquor in my, in my coffee. He smiled. I said, you know, like, like it's just not cool. <laughs> it's not <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> you know? And so it's, um, so, you know, and, and he really meant, nothing by that I don't think you know and um but it's just not cool and I would that guy would be important to think that I would ever do that and and so so that just tells me that you know I just need to be alert if I'm going to be in a situation where there's going to be a lot of booze you know that chances are someone might think it's a great idea to give me a gin and tonic instead of just a tonic you know yeah but we have to look after ourselves and that that's our responsibility Reese, in recovery you know like we're the ones who are responsible for this say yes if we go to this event then we have to be certain that we can handle it and we're going to be safe yep no there there's a there's a lot of truth there and that uh, you know i'm i'm responsible for my own recovery journey primarily. And it can certainly draw mm-hmm. on the aid and support of many others, but I have to do it and I have to initiate all of that. That's right. The other thing I'm noticing, and, and I've, I've noticed this a little bit over the years, seems like that, that alertness, that awareness, that or kind of proactive mm-hmm. uh, alertness, uh, not necessarily like a hypervigilance, paranoia. I mean, that would be a different extreme, but <laughs> it feels very characteristic of people who are in recovery or any or any sort of um, you know mental health addiction healing recovery journey in general like that's that's a very distinctive feature of people like us we we think about things a little bit more or we we're aware of a little bit more uh, sometimes a lot more whereas some maybe people who are not on this journey that's they don't have to be or they don't know that they have to be or they haven't discovered the joys of being a little bit more aware and so are just remain a little bit oblivious <laughs> What sense do you you make of that? (laughs) Uh, I guess I think uh, the way that we grow through struggle, and like if I'm never Mm -hmm. pushed, never challenged, if the kernel of wheat never falls to the earth and is buried, like it never, it never grows. Yeah. And so if I'm not, yeah, I'm reflecting on how what I think is like like the insights and wisdom I've gained over the years, it's all come out of like struggling through adversity and struggle and mm-hmm. having to labor to master myself. You know, my, my fun times are great, but I, I don't always like grow as a person from them. <laughs> no, true. You know, the, um, in, in my first interview with, with clients, I, I do a lot of work with, with male clients. So, and always will ask them, you know, if they had to articulate for me what the meaning and the purpose of their life was, what, what, what might they say? You know, and some people have thought deeply about it and they have a beautifully wrought kind of response already. And others just go, I don't know what you mean. I never thought about that. I think to be happy, I think maybe to make lots of money, I think to be successful. And, and most times success is, is uh, couched only in terms of material successes. And, and so, so it is astonishing. You know, and there are lots of people, you know, who don't give much of a thought to that. And, it's, um, and so people that 
who have thought deeply about their lives and what they kind of person they want to become or be or what they need to do differently. Um, like, those are my people. I just love people who think about those things. I am resonating with that, the sense of, you know, these, these are my people. And I like and I love a whole lot of different mm-hmm. people, but they, the ones that feel like closest in family, they're, they're the ones that I can, I can talk on this level with, who I can say, I can ask, hey, how are you feeling? And legitimately expect they're going to tell me. And when I tell them back, they're not going to be scared of it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. So I'd be curious too. So as you're in later recovery, as well as a little bit later in life too, what do you find that, what, what is a struggle for you? Again, especially in comparison to like being in your early thirties and going through like active early, early recovery struggles, like withdrawal, like all that, like what, uh, what is your, what is the recovery struggle like these days? Well, it's, um, I, 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 I wouldn't use the, the term struggle. You know, it's um, like, I, like I feel most of the vast majority of the time restart that I just live my life. And it's, um, you know, like I'm learning to, to, to trust myself. I'm learning to um, know when someone else is trustworthy. Um, I feel deeply privileged to do the work I do. I feel really connected to, to my communities. You know, so, but, but what's emerging is um, at this age and stage in my life now is, you know, what will my next step be? And so, like, um, you know, my lease is up in my office in another year. And so that suggests maybe there'll be a change of some sort. I don't think I'll just stop work at that point, but I'm going to for sure not work as much. And so if I'm not going to work as much, what do I want to do? And how how do I want to to use this, as Mary Oliver says, this one wild life that I've been given? And it's not over yet. And like George Bernard Shaw said, you know, he wants to burn bright right to, to the very end. And, and so, so how can I be of use? How can I, this next stage of my life, what do I want that to bring to, to me and what do I want to take to, to it? And so and I haven't really figured that out yet. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm sure it'll be one of those evolutionary things that I'll be moving towards and, and the right decisions will emerge. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate kind of thinking through word choice and the connotations. Maybe not so much a struggle, but mm-hmm. this is just like kind of the, 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 the labors of the life you live. I mean, you're, you have a, a full life, an active life. It has some difficulties. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with my lease? I have decisions to make. What am I going to do? That feels just complicated. Yeah. yeah. But I guess a little bit related, what do you feel like you're working toward? Or maybe not quite like what are, what are you striving after, but... Yeah. What do, you, what do you feel like you're reaching for in your life now? Well, I think, think in a broad sense, and again, I, I think it's um, an older man's issue, an older person's issue. Like I'm striving to, I'm conscious that, that, that I'm striving about 
themes related to remaining relevant. And, um, and I think that's a, a really important dimension of my life. Like, I'm not the sort of person who can retire to the golf course and find playing around the golf everyday meaningful, you know? It's, um, uh, so so I, I need to, to, to think deeply about once I let go of my paid employment, um, you know, how do I want to, to express my relevance and... And what will be there? How will that? How will that manifest in my life? Finding a way to remain relevant, um, which as I'm hearing that it doesn't sound too far removed from remaining connected. And then you know, right? Talking- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that that you're you're right. Will will I hope be a a perennial piece of, of that of that ability to, to remain relevant and it's um, but um, but thinking as well when I stop work what, what do I want to do then what do I want to do with the rest so that piece I have to think and let it percolate and emerge a bit at this stage in recovery and in life uh, what does a crisis look like for you hmm. Well, I love I love Barry Garrickson's um, model of um, human development, um, right from you know learning to trust, you know, and and then this last stage is either we learn to integrate all that that we learned, all the failures, all the heartbreak, all the losses, as well as all the victories and and achievements. But we have to bring it all in. We have to really integrate all of those things. And if we don't, then we're at risk of falling into to that sense of despair. So it's either integration or the crisis will become one of despair. And I think there's lots of people. You know, there's lots of people in old folks' homes who are just despairing and um that they never really thought about how they need to integrate their whole lives. And, and you don't have to wait till you're old to do it. <laughs> but, <it's, laughs> but we all should be conscious, you know, that that wherever we're, we're at, you know, I think, think integration is the, you know, is the definition of mental health and, um, and to, to accept those things we haven't done well. And to understand them, you know, like what what do we need to do going forward? And but we have to be at the end of the day really okay with ourselves. And you yeah. know what I love as a model of the male psychological health is um, is David in in the Psalms. You know, like you read the Psalms, like they're just beautiful, like they're. Like it's some some of the psalms, he is just so happy and joyous and so connected to to God. And another one, he is just filled with despair and doubt and anger. <laughs> and and he just seems to be such a psychologically integrated guy, you know. And and his thing with Bathsheba, <laughs> it's just sent his best friend to 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 the front so he could have his way with his woman, you know, like. Um, that thing like with Bathsheba. Holy, 
<laughs> right? <laughs> and so he, like, he's just a, such a fully human, flawed guy, you know? And uh, I just, I just love those images uh, of him that are reflected through through the Psalms. <laughs> so, yeah. so to, to to me, that that is that is somebody who is self aware, somebody who's integrated, who's aware of their follies and their faults and their flaws, as well as their ability to just give thanks for all things. And I'm thinking about hey, uh, David. You know, so what? Oh, I was, was going to say, do you know who Doug Hammarskjöld was? Nope. He, he was the um, secretary of the United Nations in the mid fifties, and um, and Doug Hammarskjöld was uh, he's Danish. Um, he was brilliant. He was a Christian mystic, and he was gay. And so, put all those two together for man in that position in the mid nineteen fifties. <laughs> And, and he wrote this beautiful thing, says, you know, to everything that has been, I say thank you. And to everything that will be, I say yes. And I just love the radical acceptance of everything that we have experienced, everything that we have done. I want to say thank you for those things. And everything that will be, I want to say yes to those. I love that. Uh, I know, especially in in the twelve step culture, the the serenity prayers is a, a pillar of our of our lingo, and uh, you know, help me to accept the things that I cannot change and change, and know the wisdom to know the difference. And it feels really easy to be really glib about that, but but something like that, the, the sense of mm-hmm. I have worked and cultivated this openness, this spaciousness in me for all people and all of life, and uh, in a sense, recognize myself as indestructible in a way. The core of me, the the image mm-hmm. of God in me, uh, the mm-hmm. core self. Like if I'm really, it feels like there's a lot of humility that goes into this too. Like if I have really mm-hmm. let go of like the passions and the needs and the agendas and the insecurities, then yeah, anything can happen and I'll be fine. I'll get through it. Uh, or like I don't need to impress or posture or defend myself because I know I'm okay. Yeah, and, and we have to. We have to. I think for 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 me at least, I've had to have enough experience of knowing that things are going to be okay to really trust that they're going to be okay. And that, and that there was moments when things were out of my control and I could not change them. And just to turn it over to, to, to the will of God and be okay with that and at that really deep level that, honestly, what do I have to worry about? I'm a little, uh, a little curious about this too. So kind of thinking back over over your whole recovery journey, what's been the most difficult thing that you've done? Or I guess you could say like, what's been the most difficult thing or the most laborious labor you've done in order to set your recovery all right or in, and continue in it? Well, when, when I, uh, I was raised in Southwestern Ontario and, um, and I found my recovery when I moved to, to Calgary and, um, and, but I was in a job that I found interesting, but I didn't really like. And there was a working as a marketing uh, rep for a large transportation company. And it, it just felt soulless to, to me. Like I, I just felt at a loss. And, um, and so 
And I remember coming home one day in the rain. It was my 34th birthday. And and, and my wife says, look at you, you know, like, you know, you're 34 and you're really unhappy, you know. And, um, and so you need to think about what you need to do. And, um, and she was absolutely right. And so... So I decided I really needed to, to leave that, that job. And, and I've always had a lot of fear around, around not having enough and insecurity about those kinds of things. And I think maybe more than the average young man might, I don't know. And, and I thought, I just can't do that. Like I've never not worked since I was like 16 years old. And when I did my first degree, except for the first year, you know, I worked full time and went to school full time, and like it just never occurred to me that you know there's easier ways to do things. <laughs> and so, so with my wife's support and her love, I quit my job and I went back to school and I did an after degree in social work, and then and it felt really kind of like I felt just very vulnerable, you know, being back at school and and really unsure where this was going to take me and if I was really truly going to, to, to like it. But it took me back to to the days when I was working as a volunteer on the crisis lines when I was still an active alcoholic. <laughs> and listening to the people that call in the middle of the night who were slurring and crying and how their lives were falling apart and and just how much I loved those people <laughs> and how much I was one of those people. <laughs> and, and so, so that, that, that propelled me to, to, to look at getting involved more, in a more intimate, more intensive way and being with people. And so this seemed like a good way to do it. But it was really scary, you know, like I wasn't just sure. I wasn't sure if I was going to make enough money to support my family doing this, you know, and all of those practical things. And But I just felt like I must have made the decision, Bruce. It just felt like I was absolutely led. You know, it just seemed that there was just constant supernatural confirmations that that was the right choice, you know, coming from things that people would just say, things I would watch, things I would hear. And it was, uh, it just seemed more and more that that was the right choice. And I have to say, it really has been the right choice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, um, yeah, I'm just imagining, again, it's like shifting into this whole different pattern, both vocationally and how you relate to people. And uh, like you said, like kind of embracing the vulnerability and, and taking a risk and, yeah, I can imagine that being really terrifying and then really exciting to see how it develops <laughs> afterwards. But but you have to go through that moment of terror first. Mm-hmm. Yep, you have to take take that, yeah. that step and just trust that, you know, you're going to be okay, you know, and it's yeah. just going to be fine. It works out. Yeah, that's so good. Just have that confidence in life. Say that big yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As kind of a closing thought, and maybe speaking more to younger folks who are earlier on in the process and maybe feeling like tired and discouraged and overwhelmed and like, well, I have to do what? I have to cut a group. What, what, what? what are some just like last thoughts, bits of wisdom, like most important thing you'd want to share with someone early in the process? 
look at this as an opportunity to really find people that you love and who love you. And, um, and I think it, that's really what it's about. You know, don't go to meetings and just sit, sitting there and not being participative, not being part of the group, not connecting with them. You know, reveal a little bit. Take take a chance. Tell people, you know, some give them some indication who you are, what's going through through your life at this moment, and and you might just find that there's somebody who can absolutely totally relate to to where you are. And there's nothing so wonderful as being understood when some when another man comes up say i know exactly how you feel this is what happened to to to, to me and that uh, it's that breaking down of the isolation and the loneliness that's um, um so if that's not happening for you in your group check in a different group or start your own group you know it's um and it will happen but it's just so important that people find a way to do this with other people. And like I can't stress that that enough. You know, going for an individual counseling session is not going to move the needle very far once a week. But being part of a group and that the dynamic interchange that happens as a consequence of being a member of that group, that's extraordinarily helpful. It's very powerful. Yeah, and no, I, I believe it. We're, we're stronger together. We're better together. Things got heightened and brought out more yep. in community. And I really loved what you said. There, there's nothing so wonderful as being understood. To be fully known or fully in the presence of another human, it can be a really, really marvelous thing. There, there's nothing that can come close to, 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 to that. And, um, and just to feel, feel like you belong. Yeah, that's getting back down to like the primal childhood attachment needs, which I just, I mean, I, I see those everywhere. So. Yeah, we're never far from that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jim, so much for sharing your story and wisdom and experience. And I've really loved getting to meet you and get to know you and uh, just learn from how you've done things. Reese, this has been a very thought-provoking hour, and um, I really enjoyed it. And I'm going to be listening to your podcast regularly, so thank you for the service you do around this. That's great. Thank you. Thank you indeed. If a listener wants to get a hold of you, um, where could you be found on the internet or in the world? Oh, okay. Um, Jay Pender at James Pender Associates. Dot com. Okay. And so if, I, if everyone has a comment or wants to reach up, I'd reach back. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you again, sir. And thank you. Pleasure. For, thanks, listener, for following along. And we'll be back with more stories very soon. Thank you for joining me in today's conversation. My name is Reese Basimio. I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian and a clinical counselor with specialties in substance use, compulsive behaviors, sexuality, and trauma. You can reach me through newpatterncounseling.com. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Theme music is by Titus Lockard. Please like, rate, review, and share this podcast from all your favorite platforms. 
Please also consider showing your support of this work through contributing dollars through the podcast page at patreon.com slash outer circle. Thank you and see you next time. Thank you.